and I don't know who that is. Siri says recording is going. Let's go. All right. We are live. Welcome back, everybody, to the Redeem Legion podcast. This is episode four. Today, we have our very first guest on the podcast, and uh, we'll get to intros here in just a minute. We're just going to uh, run through a few things for our listeners, talk about some housekeeping stuff. Uh, first off, our social media has been blowing up the last week. Um, it's been awesome to see uh, people jumping in and engaging. Uh, we've got over 3,000 followers on TikTok. We've got a couple videos with like 130,000 views. Um, we're super excited about that. Uh, the reach is getting out there. We're talking to a lot of people, and uh, that means a lot more people are hearing about Jesus, and that's awesome. That's the whole Amen. reason we're here. Um, so we're super excited about that. Um, we also want to encourage everybody out there to check out our social media, uh, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook. Um, we're on all those. So go there at Redeemed Legion. Check us out. Also go to redeemedlegion.com. Uh, that's where a lot of stuff gets posted to um, connect with us directly and uh, some events we've got coming up and uh, some merch that we've got coming soon. Uh, we've had a ton of comments um, on videos we've posted about the hats we're all wearing and some shirts we've got coming up and maybe some stickers. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but merch is coming soon. So check that out. Um and last piece of kind of housekeeping that we've got, um, we are having our first live event coming up soon. It is November 16th. Uh, it is going to be about an hour east of Austin, Texas. So if you are in Central Texas and you're looking to connect with us or um, anything like that, please check out the social media for the posting of that. And you can connect with us about it on our website. Uh, we're the, pretty excited about that. Page. Yes, on the contact page of the website. Yep. Uh, we're super excited for the first live event. We've already got uh, 15 to 20 guys committed to coming. Um, Going to be a good message that night. Uh, and just a bunch of dudes being real, talking about Jesus. So mm -hmm. check it out. So uh, we're very excited tonight. Uh, we have our first guest on the podcast. So Jesse, welcome to the Redeemed Legion podcast. Thanks, sir. Welcome. Yes, sir. I appreciate happy... you having me on. Absolutely. Yeah, We're man. happy to have you. So, uh, Jesse, you and Drew work together, yeah? Yes, sir. Okay. Awesome. Um, so, <laughs> how, long <laughs> you guys... how long have you guys worked together? Uh, so, I've been, in, I've been at Hutto for like a little over a year and a half. Okay. Um, and so, that's when we, we first met. And I've been in the fire service very long. I've probably only been in about three years. So I'm relatively a baby in the service. Okay, nice. Um, well, I think we just start from the beginning. Um, where are you okay. from? Uh, so I was born in Mississippi, uh, in Hattiesburg, which is south towards the coast. Um, and I see my dad was a minister or is a minister. Um, and we kind of bounced around a lot in between Mississippi and Texas. Um, let's see. So I lived there till I was about seven. And then I lived in Channelview, Texas, outside of Houston uh, for, I don't know, first part of junior high, I moved back to Mississippi. And then bounced around the state of Mississippi until I came back to Texas. So um, it's been a lot of different schools, a lot of, 
learning to fit in in a bunch of different environments. Okay. How, how was that on you as a kid, as far as moving around, fitting in different places? Did you struggle with that? Was it, was it easy for you? Um, it wasn't easy by any means. Um, high schools, junior high, elementary, it doesn't matter. It's a lot like prison. You know, when you walk in, <laughs> people are sizing you up from the get go. Uh, my, I guess every, every time you move, you kind of try to experiment with how to approach the situation, how to read people. Uh, but everywhere is a little different, right? Like, uh, the culture is a little different. You wouldn't think it would be, but, uh, there were some places that we moved. It was incredibly weird. The people were just strange. Uh, and then other places would be more of what you would expect. So every once in a while, when we moved to one of those weird places, you have to just kind of throw up a Hail Mary and hope it works. Um, most of the time, smile and a little bit of charm will get you a long way. Other times, you're going to have to get your teeth knocked in, um, you know, have that one good schoolyard fight, and then everybody's friends type thing, so understood what uh what came where where did you go to high school was that here in texas no i went to high school um i started at prince let's see i started at benton academy then i went to prince christian uh and moved the middle of my ninth grade year um and then i moved back to benton academy the middle of my junior year um and like we're talking the schools y'all have in Texas, like nothing like that. Like my graduating class was 32 or 36. Nice. Like, and that was it. So I come like even the, and I live in Laga Vista and the, the high school, like um, football field, everybody's like, oh, it's small. I'm like, no, it's huge. It's like bigger than my university's football, football field where I went to college. So it's, it's a different environment here for sure. Uh, especially sports wise. Yeah. So college came after high school. It did. Uh, I went, I was poor. Uh, so I did the community college, junior college route and worked full time uh, for the first two years. And then I finished up my degree at Southern Miss. Um, that was tough, right? Like uh, my first two years, I went to school full time at night and I worked a full time job during the day doing uh, road construction, bridge construction. Oh, man. Um, so it was tough, like working 60, 70 hours a week and then hitting up, uh, full-time night classes, coming home, sleep for an hour or two, and then go back to school the next day or go back to work the next day. Um, and then Southern, uh, got there and yeah, I'm surprised I got my education because I, I did mostly just, I majored in making poor decisions. <laughs> Understood. What did you go to school for? Uh, what, what's your degree in? Uh, so my, I have a, a bachelor's in business. Um, my bachelor's in business, I had gotten my certification in prosthetics as well. So before I became a firefighter, I uh, did artificial, made artificial legs and arms. Uh, and I ended up owning a prosthetic clinic before I moved to Texas. Uh, so it's education has been kind of a never ending thing in my life, unfortunately. Okay. What, what took you out of that business world? Uh, into the fire service. Ooh. Um, if I'm getting ahead of myself, you, feel free to stop. You me. want like, no, you want like blunt, honest opinion. Like what? Yeah, absolutely. What it it's the only kind we want. All right. Uh, it's a dirty game. 
Um, where I lived in Mississippi, the predominantly uh, the predominant demographic that we work with are uh, poor, and one of the reasons why they lose their limbs is because they have uh, poor access to to medical care. They have poor diets. They have uh, poor education. Mississippi is literally the poor state in the country. Is it really? Um, and it is. Wow. Uh, and it's where I lived. Uh, parts of the street that I lived on looked like a third world country. I mean, I came, I went to Ethiopia, and it reminded me of my hometown in a lot wow. of in a lot of degrees. Right? Not everywhere. Um, but the patients don't really typically want to get the leg and to get their life back. They want the motorized wheelchair, but sometimes they have to go through the steps of getting the leg and whatever to get the motorized wheelchair. Uh, the patients that actually do want to get their life back, um, they might not have the right insurance. And if they don't have the right insurance, well, you know, that, that, that stinks, right? Like I can't help you. Um, I don't have 75 grand sitting in the bank account to front for a leg. And, um, in the state of Mississippi, when you uh, get in an accident, let's say you lose a leg or you have to have one amputated due to health reasons, um, you automatically will qualify for Medicare and Medicaid, which gives you 100% coverage, and they'll pay for your prosthesis. The, the caveat to that is that you have to go a year from the, the date of amputation before you uh, are able to have that coverage. So that's a whole year of you sitting in a wheelchair and your tendings and everything drawing up. And then you have to go through about another six months of torturous PT to straighten your limb out before I can ever do anything with it. So it's just a very dirty game. If I had not opened my own clinic and gotten into the uh, into the business of seeing behind the curtain, if you will, I'd probably still be doing it. But after I started seeing the way insurance companies kind of work their magic and it just kind of turned me off, put a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah. Understood. Yeah. So you come to Texas, you get in the fire service. Um, mm -hmm. You're married. I am. Uh, I've been married. Uh, just celebrated our seventh, uh, seventh year. I think that's right. Um, <laughs> she's a medic for, she's a medic here. Uh, I don't know if I can say what, what department, what, uh, yeah, probably wouldn't who she works for, but, yeah. uh, anyway, she, uh, she has kind of, uh, I guess she taught me more about being a firefighter probably than I learned from being a firefighter, right? Like going into it and she was the, uh, kind of the reason I wanted to get into it to begin with. Cause I was like, man, you know, you don't. I don't care if they have insurance or not, right? Going back to the prospect, she's like, oh, no, I mean, we'll, you know, we'll get that information to have it for demographics and stuff like that. But it doesn't matter if they have insurance or not. If they need help, we're going to help them. And I was like, boom, I'm sold. Like, that's what I want to do. Hmm. Um, but I don't like needles. So I thought being a paramedic was probably not <laughs> going to be the best route. So firefighter it was. So gotcha. can we kind of uh jump back real quick so high school college before mm -hmm. coming to texas right um if there's any uh like what what was that like being a minister's kid right like growing up what was it like being a minister's kid and being in high school being in college um 
and then maybe, you know, did you have any uh, relationships before coming to Texas that, you know, were maybe kind of rough on you if you're interested in talking about that? If not, that's cool too. Um, okay. So being a minister's kid sucks. Like, I don't know how else to put it. Um, you live in a glass house and uh, there's this notion that everyone has that you are somehow, you know, your dad comes home and he breaks the Bible out and you have Bible study all night and, um, and your whole life just drips of spirituality and, and something uh, special that, so they, they hold you to a different standard and mm -hmm. it's just not, it's not the reality of it. The reality of it is, is that your father rarely comes home. Um, he rarely comes home because uh, church members, for all of you people that go to church, I happen to be one of, of those people now. Um, we are weak as a whole and we get a stump toenail or, uh, you know, a boo-boo on our finger and we want to call the minister and expect him to show up and, and kiss our boo-boo and pray over us. Uh, when those are things that should be delegated out to other people in the church, we should be shepherding our own flock. But because we don't do that, uh, a lot of that work goes to the minister. He's pulled multiple, multiple different directions. And so, you know, it's not flattering, but I would say most of my childhood up until the point where I moved out of the house um, was kind of a tug of war situation between my family and the church over my father. And, and, and a lot of it is just due to the fact that we use our ministers as if they're just like a, a resource for us to use and abuse whenever we want. And and then, you know, we're the only one that exists. Our life is is the only thing that matters. Uh, so that's that was my viewpoint on it as a kid. Um, could that have been my father not having boundaries laid out properly? I don't know, maybe. But I just know that I didn't see him very much growing up. So uh, he was a very, is a very strict man. It's so funny. My wife and them, they're like, oh, your dad's the sweetest man in the world. I'm like, my dad will beat the hide off of you. Like he's not as sweet as you think he is. He's got a temper. Um, but he is, he's a good man. Um, taught me a lot. Uh, it wasn't all bad by any means. Um, grew up doing construction with him. It was not, we did not go to the Joel Olstein church where we were wealthy. We were dirt poor and he worked extra jobs to make ends meet. So it wasn't always just going to be with church members. A lot of times it was working other jobs to try to have enough money to put food on the table. Uh, but I, I got to learn different trades because of that uh, and got to learn uh, the meaning of what hard work meant, which is another thing that I feel like is we're struggling with today. Um, nobody wants to get their hands dirty. And relationships. Uh, yeah, there was a lot there. Um, um, so when I went to college, I, I had met a girl, uh, my second year of community college before I went to university and like, just thought she was the greatest thing ever. And, um, so she had cystic fibrosis and, uh, we decided to go to, to Southern together. And 
she was on the see we were there for like we we're together for like three years and she was on the list for a lung transplant and she finally got it um this is after we had we had broken up uh, but we were still close and uh so she got the lung transplant was going really well for about a year and then her body rejected the lungs uh and she died oh, wow. uh, and so that was tough and um and then so after that, and this is terrible, because uh, I told my wife when we first got together, I was like, you better tell me if you've got any kind of like chronic illnesses or whatever, because that's a deal breaker. And she's like, wow, that's really cold. Um, but I explained it to her. So so after that, I was engaged to a, a girl before I met my wife, and she was incredible, uh, really, really strong uh, Christian woman. Uh, and so we had been dating uh, long distance for a few months and she's like hey if i can tell you something and i was like cool um she always had like the, the nicest hair which i thought like, man you know your hair always looks spot on that's crazy well it was because she's like hey i've got cancer and i was like oh, oh man and so she's she's wearing a wig right and so i'm like all right well not that big of a deal well uh, she's like i have pancreatic cancer and i was like all right um well that sucks and Based off of what I had previously went through before, I was like, I don't know, uh, but I really like this girl. So, you know, we just went into prayer uh, at the time. My, my Christian walk, I had already slipped into my like, hardcore rebellion and it was not what it needed to be. But she brought me back into it and uh, prayed and prayed and prayed that, you know, that God would give her that, you know, this healing and whatnot. And and he did. Right. Uh, uh, she goes to the doctor and she's like, Hey, uh, my cancer is in full remission. And it's like, great. And we decided that we were going to get married. And so we're planning out the wedding and whatnot. And like two weeks before we're supposed to be married. Um, cause she's in another state up North. I was going to fly down there. We were going to get married and she called me. She's like, Hey, I just came back from the doctor. Uh, turns out my cancer's back and it's worse than it was before. There's nothing that they can do. I won't marry you in this uh, circumstance. So the wedding's off. And that was pretty much the end of our contact. And uh, that kind of, uh, there was some animosity built up at that point at God, kind of like, well, you, you killed her only to let it come back. What did um, that do to your faith? Uh, it was still there, uh, but I'm a, I'm an arrogant, stubborn man. Uh, so welcome. There was parts of me that, you know, was a little bit like Job shaking his fist at God. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I want answers and I want them now. And, and I don't fully have all of the answers on that. Um, I do know that I'm married to an incredible woman, one that's, um, God gives us, it's like, you know, God sometimes doesn't give us the thing that we want initially because he's got something way better than we could imagine yep. uh, planned for us. And that was my circumstance. He's like, you know, not saying that this girl's not right, um, but I have this one picked out for you. And so I'm thankful for that. And I, I don't, I certainly don't want to say that that's the reasoning for all of it because I, I don't believe it is. But uh, God in his infinite wisdom, I think, is able to. Um, to work all kinds of things out for the good.
Uh, what was the other thing that you asked, Drew? I think that was about it. Just trying to uh, get you to fill in some blanks there from before coming to Texas. Okay. Um, so um, hardcore rebellious nature. Um, I broke my back in high school pole vaulting. And uh, that started a kind of a, uh, an introduction to pain pills. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from that, uh, what that really wasn't that big of a deal when the first girl that I mentioned, when she died, um, I had already kind of like dropped into that recreational scene. Uh, and that's when that recreational scene went to kind of a destructive place. Um, and it became a, a legit problem. And then, uh, I don't know, 10, 15 years of being under that type of prison, I guess, is the best way to describe it. It was hard to get out of it, but, um, you know, by the grace of God, I, I was out of it. And he brought my wife in, which gave me the, like, getting clean is not that hard, right? It's it's staying clean. It's hard. Yep. And you got to have that reason to stay clean. And... God wasn't enough. You know, you know, I mean, like that's not popular to say. You, people say, well, you get clean for God. And like, no, I mean, I got clean for my wife and uh, my, my two kids. I got clean for them. Uh, getting clean just for the sake of being clean wasn't enough. Getting clean because I, I was putting it as an idol God before uh, before God, that, that wasn't enough at the time. And, and that's unfortunate. But again, like God is so gracious, right? That he knew that about me and he gave me what I needed to be able to get out of that hole. Thanks it's pretty amazing. That. Yeah. Thank, I want to just say thanks for sharing that. I, you know, what we, one of the things we're trying to do is, you know, reach men where they're at. And I don't think that there are enough men that are willing to admit out loud, like real struggles. Right. Everybody's like facade struggles that they're willing to openly say in, in a public forum. And we're recording this for the world to see. Right. And like like having the, the cojones to to say that out loud, I think will speak to a lot of people. So I just wanted to say, like, just pause for a moment and uh, say thank you for sharing that. And I look forward to talking more about it as we go. Absolutely. So your faith journey. Um, you know, we talked about your childhood and then the the struggles that you encountered uh, kind of in in young adulthood, you know, the college years, things like that. Um, as you kind of moved on from that, um, how how has your faith journey uh, progressed or matured or like like from then to now, how what has happened, what has um, kind of led you to where you are now? Uh, faith-wise? Um, all right, so in the Bible, it says that uh, knowledge without faith puffeth up, right? It's just arrogant. And never in my life growing up did I stop having knowledge. Are you there? I think I lost you. Okay. Yep. Uh, I, I continued to gain in knowledge uh, as I got older, no matter my rebellious spirit, because I was in church, I had a habit of reading my Bible. Um, 
that faith side of that faith beyond salvation, beyond that saving faith. I got, I was saved at, at a young age when um, I think it's a lot easier. We don't have all of the external wisdom that we acquire through our old age and we're not so wise in our own eyes. Um, but then as I got older, my faith started to dwindle and yeah, God loves me, but, and he might be capable of doing these things, but he's gonna, uh, and, you know, and I think that we find ourselves a lot there. It's what well, God's able to do this miraculous work that I'm asking him to do, but will he, and, and, and we never know if he will or not, but that's a, uh, a whole other can of worms about needing a, a paradigm shift in our perspective on life and, and what our priorities are. But so I would say like during high school and college, uh, because of that, my priorities being in the wrong place, um, being totally self-involved um, and uh, suffering from addiction, uh, which, by the way, is not a disease. It's a series of poor decisions that have delayed consequences that bite you in the butt when you least expect it. It's not a disease. And because of that, uh, God kind of took a back seat, uh, also because of anger. But uh, I, heard, I heard a fireman a while back talk about the stubbornness. His stubbornness won't allow him to, to renounce his faith. And I think for a time I, I was there too. Of like, I know this is true, but I haven't personally experienced it to a level uh, to build something rock solid in me, something that I'm willing to die for. Um, and so I don't know when that transition was. Uh, I met my wife uh, before we got uh, before we got married, and you got these two kids and. They need a dad in their life. They need somebody to 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 shepherd them. Um, and it was kind of like, well, I don't really know what I'm doing, right? Like, I don't know how to raise a kid. Um, I know that when my kid over here talks, sometimes the only thing I want to do is punch him in the mouth, right? <laughs> because he's he's got such an attitude. Uh, but it's not his fault, right? It's uh, he hasn't had a dad in his life up until this point. So how do I how do I make up for that? And it was just kind of like this epiphany moment of, hey, like you've done a pretty good job of screwing your life up and God's given you the second chance. Uh, why not just continue to let him have control over it? Uh, so it wasn't like this one pivotal moment where God took control and, and, and he became this focal point of my life. It was gradual. Uh, that faith building was gradual to where there would be a circumstance that I could not handle. And I would just relent and say, okay, God, have your way. And turns out, you know, God actually loves me. It's crazy, right? Like he took care of me when I submitted to him and said, hey, have your way, Lord. He didn't throw me out to the wolves to be killed. Like he took care of me. And through time and time of those things happening, my faith was was built stronger, 
um, and my trust in God was built stronger. And then you enter into this time where um, you have this unhurried time with God and you realize what the whole purpose of salvation was to begin with. Like we, we lie to people. We tell them that the purpose of salvation is so you don't go to hell. It's not really. That's a consequence of it. It's a very positive consequence of it. But the purpose of salvation, the purpose of Christ dying was to give us the ability to come back into a relationship with God similar to what he created to begin with in the Garden of Eden. Without that, we're not able to have that relationship with God. And so it was through that unhurried time with God, like just setting time aside deliberately, of reading my Bible, praying, uh, and wanting to know him on a real level, that was like, whoa, this is uh, this is legit. This is real. This is not just a crutch, right? Or this is not whatever you hear all of the atheists say, you know, in their anger. And, you know, what? like I get it to all the atheists that are going to listen and have all your hate speech and blah, blah, blah. Cool. Whatever. I don't blame you. If I had not had the upbringing that I had had, I would be an atheist right now looking around. Why not? Why would I not be an atheist? This is the, if my general populace that are, that are claiming to be Christian, if this is what I'm seeing to be Christianity, why would I want anything to do with it? But that's not what Christianity is. Christianity is about having that unhurried time with God that leads to that personal relationship with Christ that is like closer than a brother relationship. Um, you can't make it up. And I don't have any trendy trigger words for you to make it go viral. It just is what it is. And if you're not willing to pursue God, you'll never experience it. You're just going to sit there from the other side of your computer, writing hateful comments, and that's fine. But the thing is, is that if you're so, why are you so passionate about something that you don't feel exists? You know he exists. You know he exists. You know he's there. You know he loves you and wants to commune with you. But like me, there's something that's breeding that hate, that's breeding that anger. And we push God to the back. And it's much easier just to say he doesn't exist than to say he exists and I'm mad at him. Because if he exists, regardless of whether I'm mad at him or not, I'm under his dominion. Sorry for the rant. Um, it's not a rant. It's just uh, once I once I had that experience of feeling what it what it is to be in that that one on one relationship with Christ. Uh, there's no turning back at that point. Um, I don't know. I can't give you an exact year or timeline or event that it happened. It was gradual. Um, we in America want things to be so instantaneous and to be packaged up beautiful, like, um, uh, a plot line of a movie. Unfortunately, like my Christian walk hasn't been that way. It's been very scattered and I've done a really good job of messing it up. Um, so because of that, it doesn't, my testimony doesn't flow like the typical testimony would where, you know, I'm a, a felon, you know, serial killer, whatever, drug addict. And then I, I find God and then all of a sudden, like, it's sunshine and rainbows for the rest of my life. Uh, it's been a lot of two steps forward, one step back pretty much the whole time. Yeah, I think that's fair. That's so true, right? Like everybody, 
Um, and, and not to say that it doesn't exist, right? Like that immediate conviction and revel revelation. Um, I feel like that's kind of how my uh, journey went. But everybody, like, it's not all the same. Like, we shouldn't expect A to be like B to be like C. That's that's just not realistic. Yeah. Yeah, I think mine is not, uh, a similar pathway, Jesse, to what you're saying. I've shared this in, in group with these guys before where, like, I don't really feel like I have a testimony when I think about it because it's, it's, it's this long. It isn't a thing that happened. Mine is a similar, like long gradual process that I, I can't go back and point to. So I feel you makes sense. Yeah. I think a lot of people, you know, if you get down to it, I think a lot of people's testimonies, faith journeys are uh, at least they're maturing in faith is definitely a process, right? Like working out your salvation <laughs> Right. That's a, yep. I don't think it's as uncommon as it might seem. Right. The, the kind of miraculous uh, healing or salvation stories, the instantaneous ones, I think we hear about those a lot because they're, uh, miraculous. you know, they're worth, they're worth telling. They're, they're miracles. Right. But, yeah. and so I think we hear about them a lot. But I think there's a lot of people out there that your story will resonate with. I think it's a lot more common than, than it might seem. Um, you said something when you were talking that I wanted to go back to, uh, you made a, when you were talking about your dad being a minister, you talked about, um, Christians being weak. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and I wanted you to expound on that a little bit. Um, what, like there's definitely like, right. Like it's part of what we're doing here. Um, we're, we're talking about, we're trying to call that out, right. Especially in men, um, being weak and, and everything that goes along with it. So you said it, I just want to hear your, your opinion on that. Why do you think that is? Okay. See if I can structure this in a, a way that's understandable. Um, there's two verses. Okay. First verse, first Corinthians 16. It, no, I'm sorry. Philippians four thirteen. Mm -hmm. I can do all things through Christ. who strengthens me. We love that one. There's another one, John 15, 5, we don't talk about so much. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him uh, will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, those two verses say the same thing. But one lends itself to our inner arrogance, and the other lends itself to our humility. I can do all things. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? So we love the Philippians verse because, man, I can do everything. That's where our, 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 I think the core of our weakness lies. I can, I can, I can. Like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm arrogant and I'm stubborn. And therein lies my weakness. It's through my arrogance and stubbornness that, um, that I make most of my mistakes. And it's through my arrogant and stubbornness that I overvalue the strength of man, including my own. And so we find ourselves in a position where we're okay uh, with we don't we don't want to dis we don't want to disappoint people, but we're okay with disappointing God. We don't want to make people angry, but we're okay with making God angry, which is completely contrary to what the Bible teaches us. And because we overvalue the strength of man, the intellect of man, and the wisdom of man. It by default makes us undervalue all of those characteristics of God. 
Um, and so it's not through stubbornness or arrogance that I'm going to stand up for Christ. It's through a basic humble submission that no, I cannot allow that falsehood to be said about God. Right. Um, I think that there's a, to the other side of that, we blur gender lines, we blur gender roles, you know, and the devil, like, man, he's not as stupid as we think he is. And all of those people are like, man, I'm going to go toe to toe with the devil. You're going to get your butt whooped. That's what's going to happen. Okay. I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Christ is the one doing the fighting, not us. So we look at the devil as if he's just going to attack us square off, right? Right out of the gate. And it doesn't work that way. He plays the long game. And so over centuries, he's been tearing, chipping away at the family unit, chipping away at gender roles, chipping away at everything that God's designed to where we hear these things like love is love. Why can't it be? Well, I, I honestly don't care. It's just what God says, right? Like that's between you and God. But now we have uh, we have all of these threats coming in, not just to the church, but to the Christian faith. And us as men who off of the Bible are supposed to be the shepherds, right? You don't hear about Mary being a shepherd, do you? It was David. Mary didn't go out there and sling a rock and kill Goliath. It was David. Um, women are incredibly important, incredibly, and they are equal, but they are different. And we have certain roles as men that we have totally failed on here recently. We've let wolves into our church. And we should have been escorting them out with our staff. But instead, we were like, hey, would you like a cup of coffee? Right? That's not good. Um, I mean, in the New Testament, Paul gives us ways to handle these things, ways to handle these wolves in sheep clothing. And, and after your first and second attempt, you cast them out of the church. When's the last time you saw anyone get cast out of the church? Right? We've become weak. We've become spineless. And because we don't want to offend anybody. You know, the other reason why we become weak and spineless is because we think Jesus is weak and spineless. Right? Like when we think of Christ, it's like, oh, he's this like good looking white dude with a beard and long hair. And he talks really gentle. And he's just very loving and gracious. And yes, that's a side to him. I have a tender side. You're not going to see it very often, but it's there. But Christ also has a side where he like braids the whip and runs out the money chambers in the temple. So like he's not as meek and mild-mannered as we would like for him to believe. But because we have pushed that narrative, men think it's okay for them to get in the fetal position in the corner of their church and rock while women take up the take up the the uh the challenge of being the spiritual head of the household. And I'm not saying that women can't do that. I'm saying it's a burden that shouldn't be placed on their shoulders because we as men need to like sack up and we're not. Um, you know, it's a, what's the other part? Like I say, oh, be, be a man. 
uh, was it First Corinthians 16, 13, it talks about acting like men. Well, what does that mean? Right? Like, the world today would have you believe that that means that I need to get hammered, drunk, come home and beat my wife. Right? Like, that's what toxic masculinity is. You're right. That's toxic. In fact, it's not even masculine. I have, I've got I've got I've got no patience in my life for that kind of behavior. Like if that's happening, call me up. I'll come deal with that. I got no problem with it. Um, the Bible tells us how to treat others as as real men of God. As far as our wives go, we love our wife like Christ loved the church. Like, come on, man. Mm -hmm. Like that's hard. That's something that I will strive for for the rest of my life and never be able to accomplish. But it's, I'm still going to try. But it takes every every ounce of manhood that I have to even come close to that. Uh, so being a man is not about like bowing your chest out with all your bravado. It's more of being that humble servant, that loving person. And and all of those things are anti-American, right? Like that's anti-patriotic based off of the way the narrative has been hijacked over the past few years. Um, to be patriotic now means to be rebellious, to, to go against the grain, no matter if it makes sense or not. Um, and that's another problem. As men, we view ourselves as Americans, as firefighters, as police officers, as doctors, whatever you do, we view ourselves as that before a man of God. Yep. And that's a problem, too. Because no matter what institution you're subscribing to, it's going to have things that are contrary to God's word because it's an institution created by broken men. You know, our country was founded on rebellion. But like, that's a fact. And OK, it wasn't a really good circumstance. I understood. I understand why they rebelled. But it has put in our hearts a point of arrogance where it's like, no, my way is the right way. And pertaining to other men, you know, hey, there, somebody could say that, hey, America does have it together where other people don't. I think there's an argument to be said there on both sides. But never to God. When we're looking at God and we're saying, no, God, my way is the right way, like we're always wrong. Uh, but because of the arrogance that we've instilled in us and in our children, we tend to go that route. Right. We tend to say, God, I want answers and I want them now. And that's unfortunate, right, because we're we don't know what it is to be a man in this country. Amen. That's why we exist. Is that all over the place? Sorry. No, it's good. You named wow. off you named off probably four or five of the verses that we used when we were writing like our foundational documents to define what Redeem Legion is. You're speaking our language. What, uh, I'm, I'm thinking that there's going to be some dudes that watch this that are in similar lines of work as you, okay. um, having been in that line of work for a very long time, uh, what, what would you say to guys that are in a position like you are where you're in that line of work, where being an outspoken, um, professing, believing Christian uh, kind of puts you in the minority. What would you say to guys who, you know, are are sitting in the day room or sitting around the dinner table and, you know, you're the only one, right? 
Um, and, and everything going on around you is just not what you know it should be. What would you say to those guys? Uh, it's probably gonna get me in trouble. Um, well, I don't want to get you in trouble, but it's fine. Um, I know your boss, right? So I wasn't a firefighter in the fifties and sixties. Right. Um, but I hear that it was totally different then. There's a, there's part of me that thinks probably not people aren't so different. Um, but maybe it was, but I can tell you now, uh, the fire service that people envision and the fire service that actually exist are two very different things. Uh, and anybody in the world will understand that you're going to have like guys that are, are people guys, gals, right. That are, that are good as gold, that are soft of the earth, full of integrity and honor. And then you're going to have the ones that you kind of wish would go work somewhere else in a completely different field. But Hey, I worked in the private sector long before that. Guess what? Every job I ever worked was the same way. It's not any different. The difference about the fire service is that we're really good at telling you, man, open up and drink this Kool-Aid. It tastes good. Drink it. We're a family oriented company. We, family first unless we need a butt on the truck and then your family's gonna have to wait and blah 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 eat breathe sleep firefighting and it's junk it's it's total bunk is all it is it's kool-aid it's manipulation that that we have poured out i'm not saying don't be passionate i'm saying don't hold these people up to a certain standard to where their opinion of you is the end-all be-all um, like I don't care what you think, right? Most of the guys that I work with are really good guys, but there's nothing that they exhibit that makes me think that there's anything important about them enough to where they should be an authority in my life. I really don't care what they think. Um, I want to be friends with them. I want us to get along and I respect them as people, but they're never going to put themselves in a place of my life where only God should be positioned, right? Like that's not going to happen, but that is not the fire service. That's not what we want. We want the fire service to be your God. And that's not a popular, it's not a popular belief, but it is what it is, right? Because we're heroes, bud. Hey, I don't know if you know this or not, but I fight what you fear. Okay, oh, you can never, you can oh, never train too hard. So painful. For a that's job the thumbnail right kill. there. I mean, like, that's the kind of virtue signaling that we put up there. And, and it's like, dude, I work with you. I know how you are at work. You ride a recliner. Come on. Um, but it's okay. Like, we can do all this virtue signaling on Facebook. We can. Wear the T-shirt. We can do all of this, and we expect you to swallow it, even if I don't. Even if I don't walk it, it's the same thing. Like if you look at the fire service and you look at the Christian, uh, Christianity, the church, however you want to to name it, there are so many similarities, right? One of the things that's got me so distasted towards the fire service is that we have all of these great ideals that we, the majority of us, don't. Uh, we don't uphold them. Right. Like we, we have these these things that we preach, but we're just a bunch of hypocrites. And so now I have this bad taste in my mouth. Cool. 
Well, what does that sound like? It sounds like Christianity. It sounds like the people that wear the cross because it's a fashion statement. Yeah, this isn't a fashion statement, right? Luke nine twenty three. If any man shall come after me, let him pick up him pick up his cross and deny himself daily. That was Christ talking about that. He hadn't yet died on the cross. It wasn't cool, trendy, or a fashion statement. It was just a torture device. It wasn't nothing cool about it. But we wear this all the time. We have people wearing this that aren't even believers. Oh well, um, it reminds me. This is this is this reminds me of the cross that Christ died on. It's not supposed to. It's not supposed to. This isn't the cross Christ died on. Like he already died on his cross. He already died on his cross. He resurrected. He defeated death. Praise God. This is my cross. This is not to remind me of the cross that Christ died on. This is to remind me of the cross I'm supposed to pick up every morning before I leave my house to work. The cross that I'm supposed to crucify myself on daily, which, by the way, I do an incredibly poor job of it. Incredibly poor. But I don't wear my cross outside my shirt because I'm, I don't care. I don't want you to look at my cross and be like, oh, that guy's a Christian. I want you to look at the way I live and say, oh, that guy's a Christian. Amen. Which, again, by the way, totally broken and totally screw it up most days. But. Sorry, so, probably getting more than you bargained for. No, you're good. So what what is your experience of sharing your faith at work? Um, I'm going to act like I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> I feel like you're baiting me right now. Um, <laughs> so. Most people don't want to hear it. Uh, there are people, and, and that's not to say that because they're atheists, right? It's because it's uncomfortable uh, because um, when I talk about God, I talk about the biblical God. I don't talk about VeggieTales God. I don't talk about the God that we see uh, in commentaries on YouTube from Feel Good, Prosperity Gospel Preachers. I don't talk about that God. I talk about the one in the Bible. And it's very uncomfortable for a lot of people. It's offensive. And why wouldn't it be? We're we are totally impure and unrighteous people. So anything that's righteous would be offensive to us. And so even those that claim to be Christian typically don't want to hear it. Um, it's kind of a buzzkill. It's like, ah, oh, I don't really want to talk about that. Um, then we have the people, uh, God bless them, that say, I believe in science. Cool, I do too. I love science. Let's talk science. You know, and uh, they'll latch on to a couple of things uh, that are ridiculous, like the Bible and science go hand in hand. And anybody that would tell you differently is looking at skewed information. Oh, atheists, are y'all are going to love this, but cool. Like, it just is what it is. Do not ask me on the show to debate with you because I don't care enough about what you think. If you want to figure it out, go do your research. But all of the evidence, scientific evidence that um, proves Darwinism is bunk. You know, you have the theory of irreducible complexity, which is like a mousetrap, right, that proves creative design. And y'all can look at that up, atheists, look it up. Uh, read a book called Darwinism Under the Microscope. Uh, but that's a lot of what I run into, and it's a lot of people wanting me to, well, prove to me, prove to me, prove to me. And there was a time when I used to try to. 
Um, and then I realized that, hey, like, uh, I'm not as smart as God is. And God told me just to dust my feet off and keep moving. Um, I'm never going to give somebody enough evidence because it's not a knowledge problem. It's a problem with the heart. It's not a problem with the head. It's a problem with the heart. And until so the heart is conditioned by God, it, it's not going to work. That seed won't take root. Doesn't mean that we don't sling seeds, but it's not going to take root. Uh, we've been working on a couple of people. I know I've personally been working on a couple of people for a year and a half and finally starting to see some turning. Right. And, and that's awesome. But there's nothing to say that it's going to be fruitful. I mean, that's a. Takes two to tango, right? God's willing to do his part in the dance, but those other people have to to be willing to to do their part as well. Uh, but so for the most part, um, in the firehouse uh, and just kind of anywhere in this country, we see a lot of resistance, um, a lot of hate. Um, I've had people at work uh, talk to me in a way that if I had said that, if I had spoke to them in the same fashion regarding maybe the fact that they're atheist or that they're Muslim or that they're, or that they're gay or transgender, if I had spoken to any of them in that way, I would have been fired like yesterday. But because I'm a Christian, like, it's cool, right? There's no rules there. Like, do what you want. And that's okay with me, too. I'm not going to go file a complaint on you. You're just in my target, so I'm going to pray for you more, right? I'm going to pray that God reveals himself to you, uh, whatever the cost may be for that. Um a lot of guys, when this instance happened, they were like, well, you should go complain. Like, well, why would I go complain? Like, what kind of example is that? You don't agree with my faith and you maybe said some things that were kind of mean. So now I'm going to get my feelings all hurt and go complain. Like, that's not good. But that's the way we typically operate in this world. Mm -hmm. And if you're a Christian man operating like that, like, dude, find your backbone. Like, you're not going to be loved in this world by being a Christian man. The only thing the gospel promises us is suffering. It doesn't promise up promise us a life of like splendor and riches. It promises us glory, right? But the formula in the Bible is suffering before glory. It's always suffering before glory. Christ suffered on the cross before he was glorified by the Father. It's always going to work that way, but we always want the glory, right? I fight what you fear. Glorify me. We always want the glory. We don't want the suffering. That is well said. Yeah. Very insightful, sure. my friend. Um, what's next for you, Jesse? Oh, uh, well, we're kind of in a holding pattern right now. Um, supposed to go. Drew is going on a um, uh, mission trip to Ethiopia, I guess, in January. And we got hooked up with that and wanted to go. And then two weeks or no, two days or when was it, Drew? He got COVID right before. Day before. Right? Day before, right. Awesome. Um, man, God pulled, did some miraculous stuff to get us to go. Uh, we didn't have the money. We didn't really have enough time to get passports, any of that. I mean, Drew, on the other hand, like had all of his stuff, like boom, 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 lined out. We had nothing. Um, and God provided all of it. That was a last minute thing. But then 
the day before he gets COVID and we're going across, I've never been out of the country before oh, and wow. we're going across the world uh, with like 10 people. We don't know, like never met them. Super awesome. Uh, <laughs> it, it turned out to be a great trip. Uh, the people were incredible. And then, uh, oh yeah, my truck, my engine in my truck blew up on the way. Uh, you know, like a couple of weeks before my dog ended up having to have an emergency surgery that we didn't have money for. I mean, the devil was like, he was all in trying to ruin it, but that's one of those things, right? It's like, okay, well, uh, it got to the point to where we would laugh, right? We would just laugh about it because we knew God was going to show up and fix it. Uh, my daughter got in a wreck, totaled her truck. All of these things happened within like the month before we we're supposed to leave. And then on the way to the airport, my engine in my truck blows up. Come back. He's got COVID. He's laying at home sick as a dog trying to deal with my truck for me because I'm in Africa. And me and my wife are laughing and we're like, oh, maybe God will work it out to where I can get a new motor. Yeah. Well, so come turns out like when we got back, God worked it out to where I could get a new motor free of charge. <laughs> right. And this is a truck that had over 100,000 miles on it. Wow. So it's like, okay. Well, God is showing off and, um, but the trip was incredible. And we thought, man, we, we really want to be, uh, missionaries, uh, one day, but we thought it was going to be like when we retire, um, God's like, Hey, I love that idea. And Jesse, I love the fact that you're a business oriented man and that you come up with these great plans. And they're really good plans. They're just not my plans, unfortunately. Uh, my plans are for you to leave to the foreign mission field a lot sooner than that. Um, so right now we're in the process of making that transition. Um, me and my wife are me and my wife are still working full time, and we are supporting a ministry right now uh, in Ethiopia and the South Sudan region. Uh, we've been able to assist with planting three churches so far. Uh, that seen just dramatic yield uh, just from the the dedication of just a few people. It's not a whole lot of people that are doing this work out there right now, but God's moving there because the people are hungry for God. And when we say like planting churches, it's not like we're they're building massive buildings. It might be a tree out in the middle of a field that they're gathered under. That might be their church. These people will come and sit in the dirt to hear the word of God. We won't even go if you don't have the right brand of coffee. Oh, I don't like their music. We won't go. Like, I'm so, so sick of the American bouginess. It makes me sick to my stomach. God's not enough for us. At the end of the service, every head bowed, every eye closed. We don't want you to be embarrassed trying to humble yourself before the Almighty God saying that you need salvation. Give me a break. It's disgusting. Um, there's a lot of frustrations that I have with the American church, with the Western church and what it's become, how it's become so diluted. And the churches in Africa are not anything like what we have here because they don't have anything to, to reference their stuff on other than the Bible. Right. So they get excited about God because they actually believe what they read in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Um, I saw demons cast out while I was there, which was super uncomfortable and really weird. Uh, but I had my hands on one of them and she was like 110 pounds soaking wet and lifted me with one arm. 
while she was laying on her back. So, I mean, that ain't normal, right? Uh, so there's this, we have this, we feel like God's calling us um, to go there. And we have an opportunity to work in a training center there uh, for local missionaries. Uh, they'll come, they'll be trained, and then we'll send them back to their local tribe uh, to spread the word. And then we'll pop over there to help them, uh, assist them a little bit. But the goal is to have the locals spreading the word of God because it's going to be better received and you know, we took this class called Perspectives, and it was just, it was heartaching to hear um, only 2% of the millions and millions of dollars that come in every year for foreign missions. Only 2% actually go to places that are considered unreached, like places that don't have access to the Bible, have never heard the Bible. Um, to all the the Christians that love to live in their blissful ignorance, um the like 27% of the world, I believe, is the last percentage I read. 27% of the world is considered unreached, if I'm not mistaken. That could be wrong. I'm wrong often. Um, but it's a large percentage of the world that's never heard of the gospel. And so, like, we like to sit here and think, well, everybody by now has heard of the gospel. Everybody by now has had an opportunity to read the Bible. Like, no, there are still languages that the Bible aren't, that the Bible is not offered in. We're working with another group that is trying to, to facilitate the translation of the Bible into all those uh, very obscure languages as well. So God's doing some amazing things, but right now I feel like we're in a holding pattern, and it, it does get kind of frustrating being patient and waiting on God. But I know that everything will happen in his time. That's amazing. Well... What else do you guys have for Jesse? Man, appreciate your time. Appreciate your openness. Yeah, sorry I talk so much. No, it's perfect. No, That's exactly what we wanted. We're going we're gonna to get you a new hat, too. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, it's it's yeah. funny. The the last pod, uh, two podcasts ago, we talked about the, the other side of that mission that you went on in lieu of Drew being able to go and then because of that, it set Drew up to be able to go with me to Honduras. And we had, you know, our own experience and our own adventure that came from that, our own uh, just that similar, you know, you know, attacks heading into it and then being able to go on mission. And I think it all of that comes together to just be this this thing where you it very clear evidence of just watching God work. And oh yeah, it's humbling. It is. It is. It, it's um, I don't even know how to articulate it. it. It just, until you've experienced it and especially to see the intertwining stories, right? Like because of the way that it affected you, but, but it was to my benefit, but also now it's pushing you to, you know, to go to Africa yourself. And that may not have been the way that the trip went. If you had, you know, your, your friend with you, you may not have had the same conversations. You may have experienced that, that whole trip differently. And like, the, the 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 foresight that goes into making these things happen and using our experiences for the greater glory of God is just impressive to watch unfold. Oh, absolutely. Well, Jesse, we appreciate your time, appreciate your candor, your openness, your wisdom. It's really absolutely. powerful, man. It's going to reach a lot of people. 
Um, hope to catch up with you soon and hope you can make it uh, on the 16th. Love to have you there. Awesome, guys. Appreciate y'all. All right, man. We'll talk soon. All right, man. Bye.